Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com and find them at FDIC at booth 2540. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Since 1972, Braun Industries has been a custom ambulance manufacturer focused on safety, quality, and innovation. Each Braun module is unique well beyond the chassis it's built on. With six ambulance models, limitless features, and all customizable options, let Braun assist you in designing the perfect custom ambulance to suit your needs. Learn more at www.braunambulances.com. Welcome to 5 After Midnight. It's a new show where we talk about the things the way you would around a sleep-deprived kitchen table. When you've run five or more calls after midnight, your brain feels half gone, and you and your crew have absolutely no filter. Just pure honesty. The goal of this series is to kick around the small things that really aren't so small and have a big impact in the way our firehouses function. My name is Stephanie. I'm genuinely not an expert at anything. I'm just here to ask the sometimes awkward questions. Enjoy. You've come too far, don't let this slip away. Fade out like they said we would. Good morning. Happy Sunday morning. We're both well caffeinated. Good afternoon. It's 1.30 in the afternoon. It's like 2 o'clock. Well, I think originally we said we were going to record this in the morning, and it just slowly kept slipping downwards. Yeah, it's been slowly snowballing. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Hey, I'm glad we actually finally got around to doing this. I am joined (laughs) today by, I'm going to pick the name TJ, because it's not your legal name, but we're going to go with TJ. It's the easiest to pronounce, from both TJ Leather and Keep the Promise, which I'm going to let you get into what Keep the Promise is and all that it encompasses, but it's it's something fantastic that you've created to support the firefighting community. So take it away, TJ. Well, Steph, thank you for having me. I am super pumped. Talking about Keep the Promise, that's an idea that has been brewing in my head for a few years now. And what it finally developed into it's a community of firefighters who believe in being well-rounded and resilient. And what I'm talking about is just going beyond the strategy and tactics. We can all find a thousand podcasts and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Instagram posts that we talk about, you know, how do you attack this fire? How do you deploy this line, et cetera, et cetera. Keep the promise we're looking at things more behind the scenes. What about the nutrition? What about the sleep what about the workouts that get you set up for a successful career in the fire service and, you know, being able to perform on scene? And all of those sort of 
behind-the-scenes things that uh, that make or break you on the fire ground. And uh, it's been it's been a thriving community. It's been growing for a few months now. We have had amazing guests on the podcast. Our social media grows. Uh, we um, recently launched a new initiative where as we get more patrons into the community, we are going to take that money and start supporting firefighters who end up going to the Center for Excellence, to rehab, who might have health issues, because we understand. We've all been there. We know people who go off to this, these different places. They, they don't have the support system within the firehouse. They Financially, they're taking a hit. And we always talk about leaving a legacy, leaving the fire service better than we found it, and what better way than to help a fellow firefighter and their family in their time of need. So it's kind of like my, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm going to stop you right there because that really caught my eye when I saw that. You have some people out there with some amazing projects and they want to send people to training, want to do other grants. And that's, those are, those are very worthy things. But this is the first time I've actually seen someone acknowledging that Listen, we, we tell people to go to therapy. We tell people to go to rehab. We tell people take the time out to to take care of yourself and to work on any issues you're struggling with. But beyond doing that, we really don't have a good support system for well, what happens when they're gone because their bills, their finances, all those things keep going. And And you're the first person I've seen to address that. And I'm sure others out there have, but I absolutely love that. Thank you. It's... It- it's been a grassroots effort, and it's, again, my way of, of giving back. I've been lucky to stand on the shoulders of giants. I have rubbed elbows with some amazing firefighters, and I have a platform now. I, I have the ability. I can reach people. So what better way than to take all these ideals and inject a lot of 21st century technology and, and social media know-how and actually make something worthwhile? Because think about it, like, there's a guy that I follow who talks a lot about legacy and, and what we're leaving behind. And, and he talks about how in one generation, maybe two generations after we're gone, like there's no one's going to even know we existed. If you look at history right now, we have recorded events, we have texts, we have audio, we have video. So now we're getting into that era of the 21st century where podcasts like the one that we're recording right now are going to be around for generations after us. Dear God. So now is the chance to leave that one lasting legacy. One day I'm just going to be a blip in history and everyone's going to forget about me. But right now I have the chance to make that lasting legacy in the fire service, in the community that I love so much, that has given so much to me, and for whose people I care so, so deeply. Something, something you and I have talked about in our personal conversations is... When we signed on the bottom line, we didn't realize that this career was going to, it wasn't going to be a fire that got the majority of firefighters and, and took our lives. It was going to be the job, be it cancer, be it autoimmune issues, depression, just all of it. We didn't realize how much the job was going to take away our, our health. And I think what you've really done is you've identified that problem and, and found a, a great fix for firefighters to be able to focus in one spot uh, on all the different things that attack us 
and the problems that can encompass our lives and careers. So thank you for doing that. That's, that's an amazing thing for the firefighting community. I appreciate it. So getting into the fact you are a firefighter in your career, you and I, um, where we work, both happen to have the same fabulous house number and explain right. what, your, what your job title is because I make fun of it all the time. Yeah, you do make fun of me all the time. And in typical fire department fashion, we can't choose one term that's equal across the board. So my department calls the apparatus drivers heavy vehicle operators. And uh, that's been my job for going, I think, over a year now. Do you guys yeah, have assigned ambulance drivers? Because I want them to be called that as well. We do not. So our our BLS firefighters rotate through either staffing the BLS ambulance or driving the ALS transport unit. But we, of course, everybody subversively kind of takes a, the role of, you know, I'm just the ambulance driver. And I know I used it many, many times showing up to the hospital if I didn't do something in the report and the nurse is looking at me. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just the ambulance driver, dude. Don't look at me. But yeah, I um, drive the engine at Station 9 in Howard County. It has traditionally been our busiest station. I think with the opening of our new station, that's Station 12, they um, they might be taking that because they are nonstop. But for a few years, um, I have ridden the beast, as they say, because our, our motto is the beast of the east. And uh, it's, a, it's a great time. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky to have a, um, a great crew. The, my current officer, we've been firefighters. Like, we were firefighters together before he started promoting. Then he was my officer again at a previous assignment. And now the gang's back together, and we have some awesome, awesome younger guys and gals who are super motivated, who just, they love being there. Like, one of them wrecked his motorcycle, and the first phone call he made was not to his family, was to the captain, just to be like, hey, man, I'm going to be off for a while. And the captain's like, have you, like, called 911? He's like, no, I'm bleeding on the side of the highway. I'm like, bro, priorities. But, I, I mean, it, it, it does feel like a family, and it's, we joke, we laugh, we, we have serious conversations, we get angry at each other, and it's just that typical firehouse banter and firehouse just family. Mm. you got to be if you're at a busy house like that. Otherwise, everybody gets at each other's throats. Yeah, yeah. The slow houses, you run the risk of just All becoming homicidal. Yeah. That's the truth. Um, so we're going to get into something a little bit heavier now that we've gotten the pleasantries out of the way. The reason you started Keep the Promise, it wasn't it wasn't solely just because you identified the things that are destroying our health and our lives in the fire service. It was because you lived through a line of duty death in your own fire department family. And um talk about talk about that. Talk about how that affected you and life around you. Sorry, we just dove, a, dove straight into it. I was going to say, it's such a simple question for such a loaded answer. And, um, I mean, it's important to, to discuss it. It's one thing that I swore to myself that I would never shy away from those discussions, even though they drain me. But um, it's important to get that, to, to talk about it. We, we in the fire service stigmatize mental health, and, you know, it's, it's not cool to, to talk about feelings, and it's not cool to, you know, like show weakness and that's why we have firefighters taking their lives almost weekly so that's that's a problem that we need to face head on 
And I, I think something you and I have always agreed on is when it comes to line of duty deaths, it's either people suffering in silence with what happened or people overexposing it. And we never hear that kind of in the middle, important story of, of those who are involved and were close to it because they don't want to be the guy or gal that's overexposing it. And so when a line of duty happens down the road to someone else, they don't have that, I hate to use the word healthy, but they don't have that healthy perspective to know what to look for and to know what's going to happen and what they're going to go through. And you do have that. And that is important because it's rare. People don't, people are one out of the extreme or the other when it comes to it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's key to, I don't want to say remove yourself from it and approach it that way, but it's important not to let your reaction go to extremes because your mind and your emotions are already penduluming from one extreme to the other. So your your body and your psyche is, is wrecking itself. And when it comes to actions, you can, you know, for the sake of use for at, at the risk of using like the stoic stuff that gets repeated way too much, but you have to like kind of steal yourself and, and say, this is, this is what I'm going to take. This is what I'm going to do. All that to say is that when this happened and we can, we'll go into the details, but my, my immediate thought was, hey, I can't, I don't want to let this happen to anybody ever again. And I mean, it's unfortunately, it's, it's, that's kind of a pipe dream. But most importantly, when it does happen, I want to do my part so that the stuff that went wrong on our end, and I'm talking on the incident, and most importantly, after the fact, because that's the stuff that doesn't get talked about. The stuff that happens afterwards, I, that has to be dealt with differently. Um, we might as well just dive into the incident. Um, I worked at the same firehouse as Nate Flynn from Howard County Fire. He was killed at a house fire on July 23rd of 2018. He advanced a line into the first floor of this inhumanly huge mansion. And um, the floor gave way. He ended up in what we initially thought was a basement, but he ended up actually in a crawl space that was full of Christmas decorations, folding tables. The family is big. Um, they have political ties, so they oh, were always hosting people and having parties. So they had a lot of supplies, those, those plastic chairs, those plastic folding six-foot tables. And imagine the fire load in that crawl space. And uh, Nate went in there. Um, one of like our RIT team got him out. He was in pretty bad shape. And then after the fact, like they, they rushed him to the hospital. And then we kind of knew it was bad when the acting fire chief just got the whole entire first alarm assignment and pulled this aside and, and broke the news that, that Nate hadn't made it. So, yeah, we were shift mates. We, um, I remember I, I made eye contact with him before he went into that, into that house. And even though we were both masked up, I, um, I was smiling. And to this day, I hope that he still, that he knows that I was smiling because he had a nozzle in hand and I'm like, this motherfucker's going to get the fire. Like he's going to, he's going to put it out. He's going to get the glory and, um, a little bit jealous of it. And uh, so, yeah, we um, obviously we, we got the news. It was it was soul crushing. I remember looking around at 
some of the giants in the fire service that I talked about and these dudes that I look up to that I know have been through hell and back. And they, um, they broke down. Like, they were crying. And I'm looking at them, I'm like, oh, my God. If that's happening to them, what's coming my way? Because I am nowhere near their level. And, um, yeah, that just started, like, precipitated events that, that, um, Again, ran the gamut, the highs and the lows. There was lots of brotherhood, and there were also instances where we felt very alone and very alienated by, I don't want to say the powers that be, because that's going to land me in, in hot water. But the the almost algorithmic performance that happened afterwards because there was, hey, we have to do the, we have to talk to the ME, you, we have to do the viewing, we have to do all these things. And there was a lot of concern with how to make things look good, rightfully so. Like we have to show our, our respect and, and, and pay that respect to, to our fallen brother. But there were some things that were done that did not have the well-being, the mental well-being of his crew and the others who were affected by it. They, they did not have their well-being in mind. Um, yeah, where else do you want me to go? I can, I mean, we can go tactically, we can go into what happened afterwards. This this is also what, like you said, precipitated, what I didn't know is that, you know, Keep the Promise, that idea was, was hatched almost five years ago when we lost Nate, because I realized that this was a story that had to be told, because we are still going to be losing firefighters. Until the end of time, we are going to be losing firefighters. And the only way that we can soften that blow is to learn from what was done correctly and what was done incorrectly. And I'm always going to be thankful to a pair of FDNY firefighters and a firefighter from Detroit because they ran into they ran into my buddy and I had a low key bar in my hometown, and that's that's a whole other story. They were there for the for the the funeral and. They pulled us aside and they said, hey, listen, we work with our with our funeral details. We're here for that reason. And we're going to tell you how things are now, how things are going to be, and what you need to do. Instead of saying, like, oh, it's okay to feel this way, they're like, this is your action plan. This is what you're going to do, and this is how you're going to get through it, and your crew is going to get through it. And they they know who they are. They um, they helped out a lot. They they did a fantastic job, and, and I want to use keep the promise as a platform to try to avoid those line of duty deaths, but also to talk about those subjects, to talk about those things that that I didn't know going into it, that my crew didn't go didn't know going into the um the grief process and the what happens after that line of duty death. What what's something that you could share that you you want people who find themselves in that situation because we don't have any kind of class preparing crew members for it. The IFF just did a class recently helping union leaders to plan for it, but we don't have anything to, to help us if, if, you know, to think about or to plan how to lose a shift make. What a horrible thought. We haven't talked or discussed that at all. We all read after action reports, but... You know, that's it. What's something that you you want people to know to be prepared for? 
in case, God forbid, they land in that situation. Oh, man, this is where I get on my soapbox. Um, first and foremost, let the people have their firehouse back. And what I mean by that is that we came back from dropping off our shift mate at the office of the medical examiner in Baltimore. And we pulled up to a firehouse that was no longer our firehouse. And this will hurt until the day I die because I am still angry that the department did this to us. But we had critical incident support teams from the entire eastern seaboard. They were there. Current chiefs, former chiefs, retired chiefs, chiefs from other departments. Mission Barbecue was there dropping off food, I'm pretty sure, because they always show up. Um, I mean, their food's delicious. I think I ate Mission Barbecue for like a solid three months after that because I didn't want to cook. But literally, the firehouse was full of strangers. Mm. And it sucked because I had to wait in line to use my own bathroom, to use one of the bathrooms that I had cleaned that morning because there were strangers in my firehouse. I didn't have that quote-unquote safe space. We All we wanted to do was get back to our kitchen table, drink some coffee, eat, somebody, eat, eat another shift's snacks, and just decompress, but we couldn't. We could not. There was, there was one guy, Andy Leibno, who played it the right way, and that's because he knows. He met the crew outside of the firehouse doors. He didn't even walk in, and Andy said, I'm sorry. I'm here if you need me, but I'm not going to intrude in your time. I'm not going to intrude in your space. You know how to get a hold of me. And we know, like, that was not one of those, like, hey, man, call me if you need me. Like, that was true. Andy, when he says that, he means it. And that's it. He he came, he paid his respects, he talked to us, and then he rolled out. And I wish everybody else had done that. So for the... When this does happen again, keep in mind, and this goes out to the officers, the chiefs, whoever might be listening, and to the firefighters, like, make that stance. We could have gotten away with, with making that stance. And, and I kind of wish we had sort of thrown a... started throwing people out. But give the people their firehouse back. Like we caught wind that they were assigning SISM people to us that they had to have us inside at all times. I'm like, dude, I am not going to off myself, okay? Relax. Like, I want to go to the bathroom. I'm covered in sweaty, like, soot-stained clothes. I would like to take a shower. I promise I'm not going to drown myself in the shower, okay? Just chill. Like, I... Let me decompress with stuff because the last thing I need is some puppy dog from a different department. Hey, how are you feeling? Hey, what's going on? Hey, how's your mind? Like, how the fuck do you think my mind is, all right? I can just watch my shift mate die in front of me and I come back to a firehouse chock full of strangers. And I even, like, we, we, had a, we hired a new behavioral health specialist, I think was the title. But um, she came to her firehouse, and she's like, hey, how can, like, we help? And, you know, my captain and I haven't been through it. We just kind of laid on her. We're like, yeah, if this does happen in Howard again, do not let people go to the firehouse. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to show up to whatever firehouse it happened, maybe with a machete in hand, and I'm going to keep people away. Like, I'm going to be that psychotic bouncer checking IDs because the only people who should be in that firehouse are the ones who are assigned. Take everything you've learned about incident command, set up your little command post somewhere else. Go away. Let the people decompress, 
start their grieving process. And that is something that I will never, ever, ever forgive because it it set us up for it it started us off on the wrong foot. That's that's my first thing. It's just I get it. People care, but we're smarter than that. Show show that we care in a different way. Show that all that emotional intelligence that we go to classes for and all that you know the the leadership theories. Put them in practice, all right? Trust your people not to do anything stupid and give them what they need, but also give them their space because they need that the most. Um, the, go ahead. No, as a, as a trained peer, that's something that always sits heavily on me is I don't, I don't want to be walking in someone's firehouse when they're trying to figure out who they are and what they are at this existential moment in time. Do you think if someone had just grabbed one of the dogs from one of the counties and just come in and sat in a corner and, and let you guys just decompress pet the dog not even well. that any not even that just nothing not even that. like listen we're hand out a card with someone's number we're dumb firefighters but we're not that dumb we know that help is in place we know that there are systems out there to take care of us and we are going to make use of them but immediately after the event is not the time to invade somebody's like the last vestige that you had as a, as a crew has now been completely demolished because that's it. We just went through a life-changing experience and we can't even come back to our own sanctuary because it is no longer a sanctuary. Like, where do these people come from? How did they get in here? Who are they? Like, it's understandable. Yes, peer support, take care of each other. That had the total opposite effect. Every time peer support's like, how are you doing? I'm like, dude, I got my own strength. Leave me alone, okay? Like, I'm talking to somebody with a lot of doctorates after her name. And even she understands the importance of giving space. So, I get it. You went through your little class. I don't need you. I am angry. I, like, I'm getting angry just thinking about it. Because it was so... Like, I'm looking around at, at some very smart people. I'm like, how come you guys didn't even think for one second that this was a horrible idea? Right, we're trying. Our own guy, our own medic, worked on Nate, and like did some, like went all out in his treatment. And we're at the firehouse. We can't even decompress. And there's EMS people being like, "Hey, can you hurry up and finish that airway report?" Mm. Like I think I told a bit. He might have been a battalion and assistant, and like a captain called me because she saw that I was going to take that dude and strangle him. Because, again, not the time or the place. The reports can wait. We can finish all that stuff later. But for crying out people, why are we being so just tone deaf? Didn't you learn that in your EFO class, in your National Fire Academy class, in all the IFF classes that all these people, you know, shout to from the rooftops that they went to? You didn't fucking learn to give people their space? <laughs> I, I, get, I'm, I get furious. Like, I, I just get so angry looking at smart people making that stupid mistake and just not even willing to own it. Like, we did a lot of dumb stuff. Like, I I swore that I wasn't going to drink after the fact, and I got blackout drunk a handful of times afterwards. Okay, I'll admit it. But I kind of knew that I was dealing with that grief that way, and these people were just, you know, checking the boxes. Hey, we need to, you know, have SISM with them at all times. Like, oh, fuck, no, we don't need SISM. We don't need that. I don't want to see a dog, okay? I want to... 
for about a year and a half after the fact, I could only sleep well at a firehouse. Like I, at home, I had nightmares, I had night terrors, I was just tossing and turning, and I would get the best sleep of my life at a smelly firehouse bunk room full of dudes snoring and bells ringing and all that stuff because I felt safe. I felt like I was with my tribe. And all those people showing up to our firehouse were intruders in our tribe. They have not been through what we've been through. They didn't just watch what we watched. They didn't do what we do. Like, go away. You have a job to do. I get it. But go away. Set up somewhere else. Set up your little command system and and designate all your little ICS things and and let us be for at least a couple hours because we knew what was coming. We knew we were going to be in the spotlight publicly, but also talking to the ATF, talking all the NIOSH stuff, talking to our own investigators. Like we knew there was going to be a lot of pressure on us and we couldn't even take one breather. And that 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 permeated the whole event. I remember Nate passed away on a Sunday night. It was well technically it was Monday morning. It was early Monday morning. And his big memorial service was Saturday. And that was like the the big one. You know, flyovers, bagpipers, the whole nine yards. And we knew we had a lot of stuff to do between like we all came back to work. We all came back to work on that Wednesday. We spent the whole day on site at Woodscape. And that Thursday was like family and friends viewing. It was very like a very intimate thing. That Friday was, you know, open to the public, fire departments and everything. And Saturday was going to be the big one. So we all agreed, hey, since we're doing, like as a shift, we agreed, since we are doing the uh, family and friends viewing while the public is doing stuff Friday, paying their respects, let us take some time off to be with our families, to decompress. I was just looking forward to going to the gym and sleeping in for a little bit. But, of course, that Thursday night we get a phone call at midnight that says, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, the whole shift moved the apparatus from your station for the viewing on Friday? Like, wouldn't it be cool if the shift did it? And I wish we had said no. I'm like, that's, that's what we have a, a fleet division for. But sure enough, I had to pay a friend 20 bucks to drive me at like 3 in the morning down to Howard so I can help shuttle equipment back up to Harford County. And there was a guy from Fleet, because we showed up, it started raining. And we I pulled a couple of strings, got a couple of the volunteer companies local to the area to bring us supplies to detail our apparatus again, because it looked disgusting. And I'm in my class B's, and this guy from Fleet walks past in his class A's and makes a comment like, oh, man, you guys look sweaty and you look bad. I was going to impale him with that brush. I was so angry. I'm like, this is your job. I haven't had time to grief. You're making a social thing out of it. Guarantee you're going to go out and get drunk after this because that's what we do. Somebody died. Let's all get drunk. I was furious. And again, being so tone deaf, let your people have their space to mourn to start their recovery process. And while it might look cool, I, I'm going to take to my grave the fact that it was one of the dumbest ideas ever. It's not cool. Like, there's no significance driving an ambulance from where we work to where the viewing is. Ooh, okay. Nate hated the ambulance. Let's be honest. He wouldn't want that stupid thing there. We all hated the ambulance. Like, there's no... Now, if you're telling me, hey, do you want to be... Do you want to escort his casket to to the funeral home, absolutely. 
yes, that's what I want to do. I want to do those things that matter, but those little ancillary things, those logistical things that somebody else should take care of, absolutely not. So if you're thinking, hey, it's going to be so great if we basically take the people and turn them, the people involved, and, and make them into this like dog and pony show, for fuck's sake, don't do it. And I'm sorry for the language. No, you're good. So that was that was another thing. It's it 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 got publicized too much in that like everybody got turned into celebrities and it just it was miserable. It was miserable. They did that to us. They going back to the whole drinking thing, I remember that I called it the Gen Pop viewing, the one Friday night that everybody showed up to. So of course the crew, like all of us, ended up showing up as well. And um even though it was our day off. And um, we were there from like early morning till almost 11 o'clock at night. And everybody from the, the majority of the people from the department who had come up for the viewing had left at 4 o'clock to drum roll, hit the bar. So my buddy and I, George, ended up showing up to one of the local bars just looking for a beer and a burger because we're just we're dying. Thankfully, my apartment was like three blocks away from that area. So he was crashing with me. I actually had like four or five people in my apartment because I didn't want them to be driving back and forth. And um, we show up to the bar, and there were chief officers getting dragged away, like the toes of their feet scraping the ground. They were so drunk. There were people giving speeches. There were people just hammer drunk. There were people puking, like barely coherent, barely standing. And again, also infuriating. Like <laughs> you're turning this into a party, <laughs> into a reason to just get hammered. It'd be cool if you could put the drink down for a second and just help us out. Can you can you like drive the ambulance so I don't have to do it so I can go hang out with my family? Because they're terrified that I almost died too. Like, it was that kind of stuff. And then the, you know, one one guy came up to us and said, "Hey, how does it feel to know your shiftmate died?" <laughs> George like clenched his fist. He was gonna bite him, and I, I'm like, no, "Come on, we're leaving. We're leaving." That's when we went to the other like low key place because I knew the bartenders. I knew it was not the big joint, and it was it was more intimate. And that's where we found the um the FDNY people and the. Detroit people and uh, the bartender knew me, so she kind of like mentioned to him like what had happened. And obviously, for our beer and our burger that night, we didn't pay. And there were all those people were awesome. But it's just like every firefighter event is not an excuse to get hammered drunk, and we should be thinking those multiple steps ahead of what the people are going to need. And then adding on to you know now we've talked about the fact that we didn't have a firehouse. We've talked about the fact that the majority of firefighters right, wrong, or indifference made our line of duty death into an excuse to drink. And then we have the people who were not even involved who are now claiming to be involved. And not even people in the fire department. People who didn't even know Nate who are now saying, oh, we were best friends. I'm going to get his name tattooed on me. Oh, I miss him so much. Oh, he was such a great person. And we're all looking around like, what? All you're gaining is social media clout from this, and it's for what? Hey, for what? You didn't know the guy, <laughs> okay? Like, how do you think his wife is feeling? 
Like, think about that. Don't think about making it all about yourself. His wife's not about is not out there, you know, putting all her woes into social media. She is the strongest woman I've ever met in my life. Like an absolute rock star. And even a rock for all of us to believe in. She's been she's been wonderful. She's not doing any of this stuff. Right? She's she's dealing with it with as much poise and grace as possible. And we have all these people from outside who are like, hey man, you just want to let you know that like he was my best friend. I'm like, no, he wasn't. You ran into him at the hospital once. And he hated being at the hospital. He hated it. We all hate it. We all wanted to be riding fire trucks. You don't want to be at the hospital with some stupid priority three patient. It just it's it's disheartening the amount of people who will chase that clout at the expense of somebody's death and somebody's tragedy. Which again I should I should have expected because honestly the bar is pretty low for the most part when it comes to humanity. We've seen it. We see how, how well humans how how good humans are at killing each other and like destroying things. But it still stinks. It's still you're like, man, this quote unquote community that we thought was so good, it's it's got a lot of cracks in it. Hmm. I almost don't know where to start after after <laughs> all that. You... Those are just some of the things in in my head. I I can go on like I can I can go in excruciating detail. But those are the first three things that just immediately popped in my head. That it's like this is what went wrong. We cannot let this happen ever. Like I'm shouting from the rooftops, do not let this happen ever again. <laughs> You're very vocal about the fact that you did go and you did start talking to a therapist. How mm-hmm. how long was that after? I mean, was that just a moment where you said, Listen, I've been through this experience, this is probably something I should do? Or did it have to take hitting just a certain rock place when you realized I knew I had that support system in place well before anything happened because I started talking to my therapist back in 2014 I want to say yeah I'm going on almost 10 years and at the time I was in a very dark place I was going through through a horrible depression my relationship at the time didn't help and um I found one, I started talking to her, and it it took time. It took time to just not even start seeing results, but to to feel less jumbled. So I knew I had that. I you know, I've I've been through I started talking to her, like I said, for the depression. I I, I grew up in in a war torn third world country and I didn't realize how much of what I thought was normal childhood actually ended up being traumatic for lack of a better term um i thought it was just the way things were and um you know she she's been very kind and just just talk letting me talk just let me talk through things and give a couple tips here and there for how to um how to approach things and so early on i, I was very open with everybody around me that like hey it's important to see somebody to, to talk about it. We, we go to the dentist, we go to the cardiologist, we go get yearly physicals. Hell, you take your car to the mechanic or you take care of it yourself, but you might have that experience. So go see somebody who has experience with mental health to help you unravel things. You're, it's not admission of being broken. It's not admission of being crazy. Your mind is like a ball of spaghetti and 
what you're trying to do is very neatly pull out each noodle and lay it out. And the more fucked up calls we go on, the more stuff that we do on and off the job, the more jumbled that ball gets. And you need to take that time to, one by one, kind of try to lay things out in a way that you can digest them better, if we're still going on with the food metaphor. So I had her in pretty much speed dial, and when I eventually got home, before I passed out from sheer exhaustion, I um, I, I don't remember calling her. I, just, I saw it in my in my phone in my history the following day when she called me back. But I think I called her and I was like, um, I need to talk to you because, yeah, we we lost one of the guys and I kind of have a feeling what's going to happen next. But at the same time, I have no idea. And you know more about grief than I ever will. So. Oh, please call me back. And she was awesome. She, like, called me back the following day as soon as she got the message. She's like, come see me, like, whenever. I don't care. Like, day, night, like, you can be on the phone, you can be in person, but we need to chat immediately. And it's it's helped. It's it. To, like I said, to me, it's normal. To me, therapy is totally normal. And I'm no less of a firefighter or a man for, for going to it. Um, and it it is absolutely necessary. It's it's necessary because she was the first one to hear about how the department did things, how we had the people out there being drunk and stupid, how we had the people out there chasing glory and clout for no reason. And even though I can be a bit of a loose cannon at times and I can get very emotional, very angry quickly, she managed to put things in perspective and be like, hey, people grieve with things differently. People don't know. Like, and almost like help me accept like it's not my fault that people are behaving this way it's it doesn't reflect on me and it's something that if i don't think about it it's not going to change my life so let's not even think about it so yeah i mean mental health is 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 absolutely key and having that foundation laid before you experience something traumatic because then you have that safety system to fall back on. So keep the promise isn't, it's not just keeping the promise of the oath we took to the citizens. It's keeping the promise of taking care of each other. Yeah. Yeah. The, the logo is, is for keep the promises that very iconic one that we all grew up with from the top fighter of the, um, the firefighter carrying the baby. And yeah, we are, we want to keep the promise to, to our citizens. That, that we're going to show up, that we're going to take them out of harm's way and and save their lives. But that promise should not stop with the citizens because we, you know, we are our brother's keepers, right? And to, to use that quote, we, we know these folks. We work with them 24 hours. We spend most, a third of our lives with them. We know them very well and they know us very well. And we owe it to them that they have a long prosperous career and an even longer retirement you know it, it's heartbreaking seeing the guys who retire and then drop dead a day later mm-hmm. or the, you see those who retire after being there for 30 40 years and you start to think you're like oh my god what are they doing now like because overnight snap like their entire support system is gone everything they've known for their entire lives is gone and now they have to start anew, that's going to be soul-crushing. So it keep the promises that initiative to 
make sure people understand, make sure firefighters, people in, in the in the fire service understand that it's not just about the citizens, it's it's about each other and we all have each other's backs. We we need to be better with one another and taking care of one another and you might feel like you're not being heard, you might feel like you're alone, but you are not because I was not the first one to ever go through a line of duty death, nor will I be the last one. And it was important knowing that there were people who had experienced it and who could sort of guide me and at least kind of like clear that fog of what's coming ahead. Because, again, the, the FDNY and Detroit folks are very, very candid. They're like, this is what you're going to feel. This is how angry you're going to be. This is how sad you're going to be in varying degrees. And this is how these are some things that you can do to build upon that and to make something good out of it as much as you can. You can't make good out of tragedy, obviously not. And, and I, can, I can write all these like motivational quotes, but like it's a tragedy, you know. We, we lost a guy. He didn't come back. And that's a wife and kids who, who don't have their loved one anymore. Like our pain is nowhere near hers and, and the kids. But that can be a catalyst for change and for the next time that the fire service experiences that, for it to be less of a blow to the people involved. We do, uh, we have become so resource heavy in a good way with all our mental health resources and, and peer teams and everything. And it's amazing to hear your perspective of it, of saying, yes, that's great. But at the end of the day, in those moments, the peer team you needed was your crew. And I think that's something we've kind of scienced and HR'd out of the equation a little bit is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what? I, I need the subject matter expert at some point. But right now, I just need my brothers around me and quiet. And we will figure this out on our own in these moments. And and that's a message that, that needs to be dragged back out in the midst of exactly. all, all the new peer teams. It's great, but... And look, I'm not I'm not knocking them. I'm not fighting against peer support, and it's um, it's key. It's important because in the coming months, they would just show up every now and then, and be like, "Hey, what's up? How are you guys doing? You want to chat? No, cool, bye." And that's perfect. That should have been what they did from the get go. It's um, keep doing the upfront work so that people know that the peer support team is there. Mm make it in such a way that it's a given. Hey, it's a given that if I need to talk to somebody, I can. But when the tragedy does unfold, just just watch. Just watch. Instead of following some like algorithmic checklist on we must show up here, we must be here, they must have access to these pamphlets. We're going to I remember somebody said that they were going to break the news to the kids with, like, um, puppets. Like, for fuck's sake, let the mom deal with that. She doesn't need that right now, okay? You don't need some stranger telling them what happened. Mom can deal with that. And then be there for mom. Because she's going to need you afterwards. But all of these great ideas are usually not. I'm sorry. They're, they're just not. You don't. 
Hey, bro, I'm here if you need to talk. Okay, we've heard it a thousand times. Shut up. If I need you, I'll call you. And I'll make sure my people call you. And that's on me. That's I got to keep the promise to them that if I see them sliding, if I see them becoming more reclusive, that is on me. Because if a stranger comes in, hey, man, do you want to talk about it? How, do you, how well do you think that's going to be received? Not very. Versus if I come to them and I'm like, I have seen you withdrawing. I have seen you changing. What's going on? And if you don't tell me what's going on, I'm dragging you to get some help. Plain and simple. And we can say that because we've been there. We just went through something traumatic. We just, in a way, bonded more as a crew because you can't take that event away from us ever. Like we, we, we are forever bonded by that. And that tells me, hey, I can, I can grab this guy and be like, you're not okay. And that guy can grab me and say, TJ, what the fuck's wrong with you? Let's go talk to somebody. Or let's go for a walk. Or let's just cry it out, whatever you might need to do. Those outsiders, those strangers, there's a lot of tact that goes into it. And I feel, again, I'm no expert. I'm the patient. I'm not the shrink. But I feel that those support systems need to be in place for somebody to reach out first. Being predatory and coming down and forcing it down our throats, never going to work. Well, TJ, thank you for talking about this. I know it's pretty cruel of me to ask you to go through that again, but I will absolutely be making sure that every peer I know listens to this <laughs> because it is an element that we don't ever get to hear um, at all in our training. And it is important because it's, listen, if you're on a peer team or any SISM team or anything like that, we're, we're there to, to help people. So listen to the people that have been through it. And that's so important. And thank you for doing that and for educating and for showing us the real way to handle a line of duty um, with, with grace as much as possible. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm honored to be able to, to share say, my humble story. I was going to say, don't say honored to be on here because you and I know each other way, way too well for that. <laughs> I know that's not the truth. Um, for people who want to connect with you, it's, you're on Instagram, it's keep the promise. And, uh, if they can't find that TJ leather. Yes. Go to find TJ leather or find keep the promise. If you want to join, keep the promise. It's, um, the best way is to join keep the promise.com. That'll tell you everything that, that we're doing and what our goals are and answers a lot of questions that you may have. Yeah, pardon me, fellas. I just, just keep being good to each other, keep being aggressive and, and doing the right thing for, for the citizens, but most importantly for, for one another. Look after one another. We're all we've got. Mm. Wise words. Thank you so much for doing this, TJ. So